Portland Thorns podcast. I'm Jeanette Hamji, your host, and joining me is Richard Budweiser Hamji. How are you doing, Richard? I'm doing just great. And John Laws. How are you, John? Oh, Jesus, I feel like 20 miles of bad road. In the last match of the regular season, the Thorns faced the North Carolina Courage at Providence Park on Saturday, October 30th. Before the start of the match, Catherine Reynolds and Brett Eckerstrom were honored. They both announced their retirements at the end of the NWSL 2020 Fall Series. And then the 2021 NWSL Shield was presented to the Thorns. It looked kind of small to me. We're going to have a Frisbee. Like, I could have played Frisbee with that thing, and nobody would have known the difference. Looks like a cocktail tray. The sort of thing you'd see crackers on or little cocktail weedies. Oh, you could serve actual cocktails on it, perhaps. Maybe two glasses. I don't know. John, you predicted that if the regular lineup started, the Thorns would win 1-0. to zero. And Richard, you agreed that the game would probably end up 1-0 in favor of the Thorns. And you also pointed out that a clean sheet would give the Thorns and Bella Bixby the NWSL sh- shutout record. The Thorns did get the clean sheet, but the match ended in a 0-0 draw. There were a couple of changes in the starting lineup. Both Rocky Rodriguez and Crystal Dunn were out with injuries. Yasmin Ryan got the start, which John, you said was something you would like to see. And Kelly Hubley started in the right fullback position. It was kind of a boring game, really. <laughs> it was cold. Oh, it was cold. It was freezing. This is sort of a meh game. You know? It wasn't bad. They weren't horrible. Everybody acquitted themselves well. Well, Ryan had a raggedy start, but she got under control after a while and did pretty well in the end. No bad mistakes made, really, by either team. Neither goalkeeper had to stand on their head. Neither goalkeeper had to do much of anything, frankly. Right. Yeah, it was just sort of a really... Yeah, game. So I was up at the north end, and Thorns were attacking the south goal in the first half, and then they were attacking the north goal in the second half. And so I came away thinking, oh my God, what a mess. You know, everybody's just checked out. The damned were hopeless, and it was a meaningless game for Portland. So obviously, that's how they were treating it. What was kind of interesting is when I said that uh, on the match thread at some time, I got a bunch of pushback from people who said, oh no, it wasn't that bad. Oh, there was some good stuff. And I'm like, eh. Then I reviewed the tape for the article. And sure enough, in the first 20 minutes or so, 15, 20 minutes, the Thorns actually had some some pretty nice little buildup. Sinclair was involved. Smith was involved. Weaver was involved. There were some half chances. The interesting thing about Ryan is her first 20 or 20 minutes, half an hour, she didn't really have her feet. And you could tell, I mean, she was not really comfortable. Unfortunately, As she started to grow into the game, the rest of her teammates kind of grew bored with it. Then Ryan was running around saying, hey, here I am. Let's do some cool stuff. And her teammates were like, yeah, really? Uh, Okay, knock herself out. And uh, (laughs) so so she had some nice little individual work, but that nothing was going on. The second half was absolutely dire. I mean, the one of the worst, I mean, other than the disappearance in Chicago, this was like, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a Thorns team check out like this. They, they weren't even parking the bus. If I had been Parsons, I would have been furious. You know, it's like, this is the last game you have before the final, before the playoffs, and you guys are doing this? Seriously? But uh, he didn't seem upset. I mean, in post-match presser, he was, you know, pretty, he seemed pretty happy, and everybody seemed pretty happy, so I guess we're supposed to be happy. For the last game of a Shield season, talk about going out with a whimper.
I gotta say, the team that will baffle me forever is Gotham. Gotham had three games. The last three games, they had the worst team in the league twice and the second worst team in the league, and they couldn't beat any of them. If I was mid-purse, I would just be beating my forehead against the wall. It's like, what in the hell is wrong with you people? You've got all this potential. You can do this stuff. Why can't you do it? When the chips are down, what happens to you? They came out with their inner sky blue. Guess what? Houston came out with their inner dash. And Orlando <laughs> yep. came out with their inner pride. <laughs> all three of those teams were doing great at the beginning of the season. And they all went right back to their normal historic form you know, at the end, which is maybe a shame, but it did happen. So at the end of that match, the Rose City Riveters presented Angela Salem the 2021 Supporters Player of the Year Award. Yeah, and well-deserved. Yeah, good too. for her. Well-deserved. I am constantly impressed with how soccer-savvy the General Thorns fan is. You know, even casual fans seem to know what's going on. Because I, this is a kind of award that normally goes to, you know, whoever scored the most goals or, you know, had the cutest ribbon in her hair or something like well, that. Well, I mean, but, it, it went to Beethoven the year that she scored the goal. Well, John, that was the only thing that happened in 2015 for the Thorns. That was the only event of the whole season. You're right in the sense that, generally speaking, the Supporters Player of the Year award is intelligently decided. Angela Salem is actually on the list of MVP candidates for NWSL. Which surprisingly impresses me. Given the NWSL's usual selection of MVP candidates, which, as Richard pointed out, are usually the people who score the most goals. And she's there, too, Ashley Hatch. No, Hatch had a great season. Yeah, she should be. I mean, she's the reason that Washington is not, you know, laying in pieces on the side of a road somewhere. I mean, it's good for her and great for her, actually. So I wouldn't be surprised if she wins it because she really was an MVP. Fishlock, too, is on that list. You look at the turnaround at the rain. They say, well, they've had one player who was consistent all year and was there for every game, and it was her. I actually went back and looked it up, and unfortunately, we are not the best defense in NWSL history. That's still a 2018 Courage that had a .708 goals against average. They also had the lowest number of shots on goal, which says something about their actual backline and their ability to prevent you know, uh, attackers from, from putting shots on goal, but we're second. And that's not bad. With the caveat that the league had a very low, this was a very low scoring year. The average came out to something like 2.3 goals per game. And if you add all the previous years together, you get about 2.7 or 2.8 goals a game. So we were down about 80% of a typical NWSL year. So I don't know how that factors into our, our backline's performance, but our backline's performance was terrific and Salem had a huge part of that. I think too, part of it may be that, that you think the best teams in the league, which was us and Rain, were generally winning their games one nothing or 2-1, to one, you know, low-scoring games. And the worst teams in the league were not getting wiped out. Kansas City, I don't think the worst game they had, they lost like two or th maybe three goals. No eight nothings. The worst beating of anybody was our five zip on Chicago. Even Louisville. I mean, by the end of the year, nobody was beating them. So that, that may account for why the numbers are low, just because there were no doormats and the good teams were not mowing everyone down. Well, listening to you talk about 
fact that there hasn't been as many goals this season as there might have been. Does that have anything to do with the quality of the defenses for all of the teams across the league? Or is that just people haven't been able to find the back of the neck? It could be both. There's no Sam Kerr, right? Sam Kerr isn't around. She was 22 goals. Crystal Dunn got 15, right? So between Dunn and Kerr, that's 35 goals that haven't been replaced. Dunn got two goals. Hatch won the golden boot with 10. Yeah. So yeah, small numbers. I need to do a deeper dive into the stats. I suspect it may be a combination of both. I mean, I think Richard's right. I think you know, we didn't have, you know, any anyone even close to Kerr. I just gave Gotham a ration of shit because they couldn't beat the worst teams in the league. But then Gotham was one of these teams that they were hard to beat. You can say that, you know, they, they should have done better up front. They did well as hell in back. I don't know how many uh, draws they had, but I'll bet they had probably the most in the league. That'd be an interesting article to do after the, the season to, to look into that, to see what, what the reason for the low scoring was. We definitely saw that in the playoffs. There was one great move made, and that was the announcement on November 1st that Karina LeBlanc was named as the general manager of the Portland Thorns. She's totally hooked into both women's soccer and the national soccer establishment, USS soccer, US soccer, FIFA. She's hooked into the, the Canadian national team system. She's hooked into the US national team system. She's hooked into the Thorn system. What's not to like? Plus she's KK. I mean, she's totally insane. I can't wait to see her here. I want to just like hang out outside the front office is like, you know, some sort of, you know, lovesick fanboy. Just so, you know, I can say, KK, oh my God, you're back. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm a total dork, but, you know, I mean, yeah, no, that was a great, that was a great move. So it's interesting in the announcement that the Thorns front office made, they said, I'm quoting directly from it. She reports directly to Merritt Paulson and is responsible for the technical soccer operations. She will serve as the central leader for the Thorns FC on all soccer aspects, while also having an integral voice on key business decisions related to the club, helping to create, cultivate, and manage the culture of Thorns FC. So that's a pretty broad umbrella of the things that she will be involved in. I've listened to her a couple of her interviews. Uh, she is just very enthusiastic. Well, she said a couple of things. She's not a checkbox where the front office can say, well, we did that. We hired a black woman. We're done. She's not that. And she's very you know, clear about that. She also talked about things that she's good at and things that she will need to surround herself with other people to help her out. So she's not going in there thinking that she has all the answers. She knows she needs to learn the business side. Anybody who tries to make a case for Gavin Wilkinson comes down to the fact that the guy knows the weirdly arcane business rules, particularly of MLS. I mean, I don't know about the end of itself, but particularly MLS. I mean, he's like Mr. Weird MLS contract guy. That's always been his strength. Same in NWSL. You look at the deals he's pulled off for the Thorns, you know, the Alex Morgan deal or, or the use of allocation money or bringing Haran and Dunn off of the 
allocation list. I mean, all these things have been great for the team. Yeah, he's been good at the business side, and KK needs to learn that. I, I think she's she's smart, and I, oh, yeah. I think she can. There's been at least two articles, one in the Oregonian and the other one in the the Mercury. The Mercury, yeah. Concerning 107s and the lack of response from the Thorns FO. We haven't heard anything since Merritt Paulson's letter. Hopefully the league and the clubs will understand that it really is in their best interest, even if there are some ugly truths that emerge, that those truths need to come out. As Derek Jacoby says in I, Claudius, let all the poisons that lurk in the mud seep out. That's the only way that they're going to purge this, because otherwise, you know, all the people who were involved are going to know that they've successfully covered things up and they can cover it up again. I suspect we'll be thinking and talking about this for quite some time until the investigations are over. The league is saying it it may go into the 2022 season. Right. I want them to do it right, though. We have an opportunity here. What if the NFL did this? I mean, they've got way bigger problems for way longer time than we've had, and yet they keep it all covered up, right? And NBA is having similar issues, and trailblazers are. It's everywhere. And we have an opportunity here to show the sports world, how it can be done right and clean and build people's confidence. Jeanette, you know, you started off by mentioning those articles. It just so happened that I first saw them because a crap ton of people in my Facebook feed sent me links to the articles. And I'm going to be really contrarian, you know, for the guy who wrote the article here at Riveting, who basically said, come on, guys, you, you had to know something was going on. The thing that got me about those articles is the presumption of guilt. The 107 has made it really clear. The hill they're going to die on is GW out, period. That's it. Based on what I know of the Peregrine organization, there's no point in Merritt engaging with them because he's not going to start from there. He might arrive there. But that's not where he's going to start from. And if you, the 107ist, and you, the Rose City Rivers, are going to start from that position, then don't be surprised if what you hear from the man in the high castle is nothing. I would have preferred if front office had done a little bit more communicating about what's going on and what their plans are. Now, they've got a lot going on with the end of the season, with having to make plans about the expansion draft with bringing in a new GM. The search for the coach is not completed huh. as of the press conference. It hadn't been completed yet. She said that was one of the first things that she needed to work on. However, I do think that Paulson could have said something. Like you say, what was he going to say? Well, that's a good question. I don't have the background that a lot of the Timbers Army has with Gavin. All I know is what I've heard. There's a lot of bad blood there. That's right. all you need to know. Right. He made a lot of enemies. I don't have that visceral reaction. Once they said the Thorns have their own GM, that for me was such a big step forward. The fact that Wilkinson is still there doesn't take away from that for me. I went to a Timbers game and I went to a Thorns game. First time this whole season since like early May or April that I've been to a game. So I was sitting up in the ADA seats because my knees are all jacked up. 
And so the Rose City Riveters are standing in front of me and the 24th minute chanting. I was in the field artillery, so I don't hear very well. I swear to God, it sounds like what they're chanting is pew, pew, you know, like shooty noises, pew, pew. And I'm like, why are you making shooty noises? And finally, after like five minutes of chanting, I realized what they said, what they were saying was you knew. And that's kind of the question, isn't it? What they knew were the complaints that Manashim brought forward. That was the only thing. And that was the only thing. But if we go back and look at what that thing was, that was the coach taking two players to his room and demanding that they kiss each other. That should, doesn't matter what else happened. That's, that's enough badness right there. They knew that that happened. McGavin knew that that happened. For sure he did. Because Mata told him, and they did the investigation, which surely came up with the same thing. But he knew that, and that means Merritt knew it. And then Merritt's all like, hey, we'll see you again, buddy, you know, when, he, you know, when they left. I mean, that's inexcusable. It is. It's just inexcusable. Here's what I think. They didn't believe them. They did not believe Shim and Farley. They didn't believe them. Well, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't know Farley. They didn't. They know knew Farley. about the kissing, though. It was when Farley and Shim went to his apartment, and he. Had, they did not know about the stuff that happened pre, Thorns. The important thing is all the information they had came from Shim. Uh, I don't think so. I think Farley was interviewed by the HR people for twenty minutes. But did she say anything? We don't know. We don't know, but presumably not about the pre Thorns Riley stuff. Not about the pre-Thorn stuff, but I'm sure she said stuff about, you know, being in the apartment and that kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, like I say, we, we don't know. We don't know. They could have just published the report, right? It's all public knowledge now. And they should. The horses left that barn, so why not just publish the thing and just say, here you are. This is what we knew. And it's like, yeah, we did a bad job not following up and make sure that he didn't get another job. My guess is that the Peregrine attorneys are telling them not to. Because they're more worried about Riley suing them for something that he has no leg to stand on versus losing their fan base. They would rather have the business go under than admit that they made a mistake. That's kind of what they're doing. Well, because so far their business hasn't gone up. I was at the Thorns game and people were buying Modelo's. Oh, yeah, sure. Some people were. Our season attendance here was the lowest it's ever been, worse than 2013. It is hurting, and it's not going to get better. Now, I don't know, you know, ultimately, would the Thorns fold? Probably not. But I think there's probably enough casual fans who aren't really clued in on this whole thing, or maybe they just see no evil, hear no evil, go anyway, that maybe they could be okay. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, if, if, it, if this is where it ends right here, and that's all they're ever going to say, and they never admit to anything, I, I don't see this going away. I see it getting worse. This is what happens when you don't have any information. You make shit up. <laughs> but one of the things that I suspect is that they didn't do a damn thing during that investigation. And that's what they're hiding. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But the HR person had a few interviews with them. They couldn't produce the, the text messages because they were deleted. And that was the end of that. And... He broke policies, taking them all out drinking. And that's it. Part I think that nobody wants to talk about, and I feel like a heel for even bringing this up, but I think that we have to consider that this may have played into the front office thinking, is that they may have considered Shim an unreliable narrator. Shim had problems, okay? She's admitted she's had problems. Okay. She had a very troubled career with the team. She burst into the scene in 2013. She got traded. She got traded back. 
She had a horrible 2014. She had a better 2015. Then 2016, frankly, she went it, she went down the tubes. Um, so it's entirely possible that the front office looked at that and looked at her and said, you know what? Yeah, I don't know. The other thing too is that is as someone has pointed out on some town footy, it's like if if we see this 2015 report or the next one comes out and it's show us what was in that 2015 report and if there's stuff in there about sexual harassment, then it's like, well, why did this ever happen? And why did Riley ever work again? Right. And if there isn't anything in there about sexual harassment, it's like, what the fuck were you doing during your own investigation in 2015? Were you trying to not learn anything? Because you sure did a good job of it. And the answer is, I bet they were trying to not learn anything. They don't want to hear it. Anybody who's ever worked for a corporation, and I've worked for a corporation more than 30 years, different corporations, will tell you that the very first thing that a corporation does when something bad happens, their very first thought is, oh my God, how can I cover my fucking ass? Yeah, they don't care. They don't care about you. They don't care about you. They don't care about you. You're just some drone and they can replace you. What they care about is the liability. They don't want to get sued. They don't want to get their ass in trouble. Is that a counterproductive approach in the long run? Absolutely. I mean, if you keep the fan base in the dark and you don't say anything to them, just like you said, Jeanette, what you're going to do is you're going to encourage all sorts of conspiracy theories. Now, do I know what happened in 2015? No. Do I suspect what happened? Yes. Am I willing to wait until the investigation is concluded? Yes. But a lot of people are not. And a lot of people are pissed off. And I think that's where you get stuff like this Oregonian article. But I mean, I think the problem is I think both sides are getting entrenched. There's a portion of the fan base that's basically saying, screw you. And then the front office is like, hey, we can't talk to you guys because you you're saying screw you. Yeah, I I don't. I don't know that there's going to be a, a resolution of this in the short term. I mean, the only thing I can think of that's encouraging here is I do think that having LeBlanc in there could make a difference because I don't know how long she'll put up with a lot of bullshit from these guys. You know, she, she has no fucks to give. I remember her from 2013. That was one of the, the greatest things about her. With any luck at all, uh, she will you know, keep the fire up and make sure that we get get some answers. I, I, even if they don't give it to us, that answers are gotten, you know, about what happened and how it happened and how we stop it from happening again. But the Me Too thing, there's just been an unending stream of white men saying, oh, God, I'm so sorry that I didn't know because I was a person who treated everyone as subhuman before. And now that I know, I realize that that's not a that's not a good way to do things. Oh, are you still watching? Oh, well, let me keep saying it then. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, you shut up. Oh, bye. Fuck you. It's never solved a thing. Nothing's changed, right? And I don't, I have very little confidence that it will change. I can totally see why people are out of patience with it. Playoffs started this past Sunday. The fourth place Chicago Red Stars beat Gotham FC 1-0. And the third place Washington Spirit beat the North Carolina Courage one to zero. Let's talk about those play-in games. Now, the only one I can really talk about with any authority at all is the um, the Chicago Gotham game because that's the only one I saw. You know, I saw the first half. The astounding thing about the first half was how absolutely awful both teams looked. 
I mean, it was just a mess of misplayed passes and, and giveaways, uh, players being tackled for loss. And the question to me wasn't so much who was going to score first, but who was going to have some sort of catastrophic giveaway you know, within their own 18-yard box and give up some sort of horrendous crap goal. Gago, I guess, pulled it out in the second half. Mallory Pugh had a beautiful one-touch goal. But I'll be honest with you, if if Chicago brings that weak sauce here, I'll be happy to see that. I was totally unimpressed with all four of those teams. The higher seed won both times, so fine. But, you know, it doesn't tell you anything. I didn't expect North Carolina to win. If they backed in. They didn't really deserve to be there in the first place. I think if it had been Houston, it might have been a little more interesting. But uh, it wasn't, so it wasn't. Washington Spirit will face the rain in Tacoma at 12 noon Pacific, and the Chicago Red Stars will face the Thorns in Portland at 2.30 Pacific. And both of those semifinal games are on Sunday and will be broadcast on the CBS Sports Network. Well, I can tell you this, uh, I forget, Laletta, I want to say, thinks that Chicago is going to beat us. I'm like, I guess you didn't watch the first round. <laughs> okay, whatever. We went to Chicago and we laid an egg the last time we played them. We can lose to them. They can play tight defense. That was a historic disappearance on our part. I don't think I've ever seen the Thorns play like they did in Chicago in that game. It would take a very epic effort from them to beat us. They're going to have to do everything perfectly. And we're going to have to make some critical errors, which is not impossible. We could certainly do that. I think we'll win. I think it'll be tight. I think it'll be 1-0, 2-1, something like that. The only thing that where I think we could come up short is we just can't seem to hit the damn net. That problem has never been, never been solved, so that's still there, right, as an issue. Yeah, I mean, it's time. It's Smith, Weaver. No, it's it's past time. Yeah. Yeah. It's past time. Yeah. Those guys have got to start putting shots on goal and they've got to start putting shots in the goal, being beautiful and creative, making pretty attacks. If you can't put the biscuit in the basket, it don't count. No doubt of that. And I do think too, that Weaver has proven that she's uh, miss October, <laughs> like Diron is right. Is going to do all the scoring when, uh, when it matters the most. Right? She scores in big games. That's her thing. Hopefully that will be the case. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, honestly, I think this is a game that could go all the way to PKs. If, if we play down to them, it could very easily be a real slog and go all the way to the end. If it did go to, to overtime and it was looking like it was heading for PKs, you know, in overtime, you get an extra sub. And I saw this done in the World Cup one time, I think by the coach of, of uh, Germany. They changed out the keeper in the 119th minute for a guy who was a PK specialist. And sure enough, he did it. Would Parsons do that? Would he bring Hogan in 117th minute for Bixby? <laughs> I'd love to see that. I would love to see that. But that I would be I would be an emotional wreck by that point. So I probably wouldn't even notice that he did it. But yeah, it'd be that that's only good. That thing would I be fun see to see. That. That'd, that'd be yeah. peak craziness. I think our approach has got to be to to score early, score often, and then we can let them hammer on the door all they want. What about the OL Rain Washington game? What do you think is going to happen there? The Rain Washington game. Now that's a, that's an interesting game. I think it's going to go to PKs at four four. That's going to be just a freaking wild game. 
these are two teams that just are scoring machines. It should be a more entertaining game than ours, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. It's going to be wide open. The potential for a black swan out of that game is absolutely almost guaranteed. Now, I think Tacoma's going to win, unfortunately. I think they've got a real good chance of going to the final. And if they go to the final, I think they've got a chance of, to win the final, which I hate to say, but there you have it. Well, I think any team that gets there could win, except maybe Chicago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, one and done is a crapshoot. I said on the last podcast that I'd prefer the rain over the spirit for that game because of the travel time zone thing. But hmm. I'm not sure that that's that big of a difference. No, I don't think so. But I'm not sure there's that much light between Washington and Tacoma. They're very similar teams. I mean, if you look at the roster, Tacoma is stacked. You got Quinn on one side. You got Sullivan on the other. You, you have Balser and Rodney. You have Rapino and Hatch, maybe. Yeah, I don't but then then you have Lesame and Marison, and who you got? Yeah. Who are you going to match up against those two? Uh, Sanchez. Yeah. On paper, they should mow them down. On paper, they should have mowed a lot of people down, and they didn't. So I don't know. I think this is where their French mercenaries really earn their keep because they've yeah. they've been to the big games, they've won them. I yeah. think they're going to be hard to stop. I hate to say yeah. it, but. They're- so hopefully it'll be us against Tacoma in the final, and hopefully we'll beat Tacoma. But I, yeah, we can do. That. Yeah, we could. I mean, yeah, we we yeah. we were damn near until they they got handled a cheap ass penalty. Yep. You know? I mean, it's this would be like a immovable wall meeting an unstoppable force. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's all the time we have. Let's sign off. This Richard Budweiser. Thanks. We'll see you Sunday. Hopefully you'll be smiling when it's over. John Laws and Death to Chicago. And this is Jeanette Hamji. Thank you for listening. This has been Riveting, a Portland Thorns podcast. <laughs>